we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Fall is upon us, and we're back into the normal routines that we're used to, and let one of those normal routines be your health and wellness. Who better to help you with that than Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition? You can reach out to her on Facebook at Rise Menominee, and she'll get you started accomplishing all of your health and wellness goals. Again, that's Angie Niska with Rise Nutrition. Hey everyone, great to be with you as always. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera. Here's the thing, we're always looking around seeing how challenging this world can be, right? Especially now. And we're often looking for good and maybe even creative solutions. But today we're going to ask the question, what if we are the solution we're looking for? Earlier this week, a friend of mine, he texted me a question and he asked something that kind of came out of the blue, but I I thought it was great, but it definitely caused me some pause. He said, what would it look like if I was living my absolute best life? (laughs) And I responded to him. I said, well, that's a, a pretty big question. That feels like I'm not positive that I'll be able to answer it over a text message because it's a bit of a daunting question. But the answer I came up with was actually pretty simple. It's that It would look like me being the person that I choose to be, or you could say the person that I've created to be, being that person all the time, everywhere, no matter what. And I think if I were able to do that in my life, that I would be living what I would argue would be my best life. Now, the reason I answered that way is simply because, quite honestly, for much of my life, I have adjusted I guess who I am or what I stand for. I've adjusted a lot of things just to fit in better with the people and organizations I've been around. I guess if we're all honest with ourselves, we probably could identify with what I just said there. When I was a part of the evangelical church, which really started about the time when I got to college and then I eventually came on staff in my early 20s, I was really careful because I think I just kind of inherently knew how that game had to be played. And so I was really careful only to offer up pieces of myself that I knew would be accepted. And I, I don't know, I suppose what's even worse than that is that there were several times when I pretended to be a person that I simply was not. Now, whether that was overt, like something I said or something I preached or whether it was something more subtle, like remaining silent or laughing at a joke that I didn't really appreciate. Or honestly, 
I mean, we've all been in these circles, right? Or in these situations. It could even be something as little as nodding my head during a sermon at a point that I actually didn't agree with, but I could tell the pastor was looking for some head nods. So it could be as subtle as something tiny as that. But every little thing that I did was really agreeing with something that I I wasn't on board with or really trying to be somebody that I knew I wasn't. And as I think back to that time, there was there was so much of that, partially because I wanted to fit in. I think there's like this inherent part of all of us that wants to be a part of something and we want to fit in. And so when I looked at the evangelical church and the people there, and honestly, I felt super loved by that group of people, that first group of evangelicals that I ever encountered. So I desperately wanted to fit in with them because I really looked up to them. And then there was another part of it where I would do it partially because I I just I wanted it to be good and I wanted it to be true. There was so much that I like I said there's so much that I loved about it and that I loved about those people that I wanted what I was a part of to be good and true and meaningful and I really wanted it to matter in this world. And then also partially I would do things that really weren't honest to myself because I didn't want to get ostracized. And when I came on staff with the evangelical church, which I did for, boy, it was like 18 years, I think. Honestly, I just didn't want to get fired. Eventually I had kids and I had a family and I had a mortgage. So I definitely knew there were certain things I had to be careful of because if I actually was the truest form of myself, there's a pretty high probability that I was going to get fired from the position that I was in or the positions that I was in. A little bit down the line then, I started engaging in the nonprofit world, something that's still very close to my heart. I work with a nonprofit organization, a couple of them right now. And those nonprofits that I've been engaged with and still engaged with, we're, we're working on justice issues. It's a huge part of who I am, huge part of my heart. Now, when you get to certain places in those nonprofit organizations and fundraising is a part of what you do, uh, it became this perfectly imperfect space to sacrifice my true self because when there's money on the table to support something that you desperately care about, it's a constant challenge to not tell people what they want in order to keep their donation coming. Even the strongest of us, I'm sure, that have been in that space where you're responsible for at least some of the funding of the organization, and you've got that person who either is a donor or is considering being a donor, and you can tell after talking to them what some of their values are. And so you can become, if you're not careful, you can sacrifice yourself to become more of what they want out of that given situation. And the real problem about that is that if you do it enough, you're just becoming a different person to different people. And you really can't, I mean, you can't make all of them happy and it will, it will show itself eventually, which I think in my situation it has over the years. This is really just an ugly reality that almost every person involved with nonprofit fundraising has to deal with on somewhat of a regular basis. It's so hard to remain true to yourself, true to your mission, and continue to get the funding your organization desperately needs because, again, you care so much for the cause that you're a part of. And you know it needs the funding. And so you you reach that point way too many times than I'd like to admit where you're tempted or you just do sacrifice who you are to get what you want. I'm not proud of it. 
It's just a reality. So that's what led me to answer my friend the way that I did. Simply that I want to be who I choose to be or who I've been created to be everywhere I am all the time, no matter what, no matter who's in front of me. And I think if I can manage to do that, then I will feel like I'm living my best life. Of course, that led my mind like it does on a rabbit trail. This is always how it happens. Like somebody asks me a question or I get involved in a conversation or I watch a documentary. It just seems like not much of anything. And then all of a sudden my mind gets going and I get on this rabbit trail. And so after that question was posed to me, I just, I spent the better part of that day just expanding these thoughts through my head. And I started wondering if maybe this isn't a much larger cultural issue. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's, it's a much bigger issue that we should tackle. And certainly, absolutely, it certainly is one that can apply to faith circle. Again, going back to the early stages of my evangelical journey, I remember this really strange phenomenon that happened in the youth ministry at the very first non-Catholic church I ever attended. The youth pastor was and still is this like really great guy. He's no longer a youth pastor. He's a pastor of a really awesome progressive church. But the youth pastor was this really great guy. You know, he's super likable. Everybody wanted to be around him. Everybody loved him. It was all good. He was, again, just like, he's just like a super good dude. But here's, here's the phenomenon. Here's the interesting thing about him. So he had this very distinct speaking cadence. Now, as a, as a professional speaker, this is something I pay a ton of attention to, even to this day. I'm always keen in on people's cadences, just the way they speak. I'm also reflecting on my own cadences and things like that. But I'm not necessarily talking about the way he spoke when he was giving a sermon. Not, not really at all. I'm talking about the cadence and just the, the way that he spoke in normal everyday conversations. It was, uh, I wouldn't call it like weird or strange. It was simply unique. It was very unique to this man. And then here's, here's the actual phenomenon. And then I started to notice that the leaders in his youth group started talking the same way. And before long, like the entire youth leadership team had this same unique speaking cadence. I'm not going to try to emulate it. I'd never be able to do it. All I can say is you couldn't deny it. It was so obvious that, that these people that were under his leadership started speaking like him. And because it was so very unique and easy to identify, from that point forward, like I never had to wonder who the youth group leaders were in our church. I could always hear it. It was, it was like, it's the, it's the youth group accent. It's like the same way when I'm speaking and maybe I'm in a different state or something like that. People always know I'm from up north somewhere. And when I say the word Wisconsin, then they know exactly where I'm from, right? So in the same way that I have a northern accent, the entire youth group had a youth group accent. And so you knew who was part of the youth group just by the way they spoke because they just, by being around this dude, this youth pastor, they just started to speak like him. So fascinating. Let's build this out a little bit on a larger scope. We can use this really throughout the evangelical church of the last few decades. 
you probably recognize the name Willow Creek. Willow Creek is this humongous church near Chicago. And for years and years, and even still a little bit to this day, it has been the model for what has been looked at as healthy evangelical churches. And for a couple of decades, like tons of new churches that were showing up had some sort of running water in their name. Again, the the name of the church down in Chicago in the Chicago area is Willow Creek. So even like in my little area of the world, in my city, there were three churches that I can think of. There's probably more, but there was Cedar Creek. There's also Cedar Brook. There is Valley Brook all started during this Willow Creek era. So even just in the naming of the church, like there was something that they wanted to grab onto and they were emulating Willow Creek. (laughs) Just such a, a unique way. Like, okay, yeah, like small running water, creeks, brooks. Yes, all of that. Fascinating, right? Let's look at it in a different way. Back a, a number of years ago, in that same time frame, there was this gentleman by the name of Rob Bell, one of my favorite speakers. I love this guy to this day. He started a church over in Michigan. It was called Mars Hill. It exploded. It was like one of the fastest growing churches in the history of the evangelical church movement because he, he just had this incredible ability to communicate and he'd communicate in fascinating ways. Everybody loved him, just like everybody loved Willow Creek, just like everybody loved that youth group leader, like everybody loved Rob Bell. And (laughs) so then what started happening, suddenly everyone started wearing these dark plastic rimmed rectangle glasses, just like Rob Bell. (laughs) And the other thing that they do is they started speaking with more pause at the end of sentences. He would always, when he was trying to make a point, Rob Bell would always put that pause in there. And then you would, so you'd see all these pastors that were wearing these dark rimmed glasses and speaking with more pauses at the end of their sentences. Because again, like they're just emulating that thing that they really like. We are quick to simply, and sometimes honestly, maybe even most of the times inadvertently, we're quick to tag on to that which we're inspired by. And That is not a bad thing. Inspiration, positive influence, like those are really good things. Uh, It takes me back to like my jazz drumming days. And I remember my college jazz instructor, he used to tell me, he knew a lot of my influences. So he used to tell me, he said, take Sonny Greer, take Buddy Rich, Max Roach, and all these other drummers that you love to listen to, put them all in a pot, add in your abilities and opportunities, and then you create your own style. So yes to influence and letting that inform kind of the way that you move forward, but no to absolute plagiarizing. If you haven't turned the podcast off yet, congratulations, because (laughs) you're you're just going with me on my rabbit trail through my brain. So the obvious question is, why am I bringing this up? Here's why. Simply because it seems to be a universal danger, this desire to want to plagiarize those things that we're inspired by. You see it not only in the faith and church world, but we see fads and trends everywhere we go. And I believe, quite honestly, that we're in the midst of this exciting and beautiful faith movement that actually has the potential to make this world a far better place as we just continue to rid ourselves from harmful concepts and focus much more on inclusivity and loving connections. However, if we do what comes quite naturally, 
we will end up trying to copy all those things that inspire us. And then what's going to happen is that we're going to become inauthentic and we're going to create things that are inauthentic. And quite honestly, we're going to begin to do and say things that we don't really believe, just like I was talking about before, or we're going to stand for things that we don't believe, just like maybe we used to do before. And if we really want to be a part of something new and meaningful in this world, we have to avoid the temptation that has probably gotten all of us in the past in one way, shape, or form, which is the temptation to do things like everybody else is doing things. Earlier this year, I had this really awesome opportunity. I got invited to this small group gathering out in New York City on a rooftop with a a bunch of people that I really look up to and respect. I was just super excited to be a part of the conversation and, and be part of that weekend. However, after that weekend, even though I genuinely enjoyed the experience and the people and the conversations, I knew that in order to truly fit in to that group that was on the rooftop that weekend that I would need to alter who I truly am. Friends, I'm just no longer interested in doing that in life. Like life is way too short. I just turned 45 this year. I feel like I'm maybe at around my halfway point and the second half of my life, I really don't want to get in the habit of doing that anymore. So I chalked that experience up to a lovely and memorable weekend, but you know, really nothing more than that. Because again, I need to be in a space where I feel like I can be true and authentic to myself. Going back to that question that my, my friend asked me that I started the podcast with, if I'm going to, to really be my best self in this world, I have to be my most authentic self in this world. And, and friends, we have one Richard Rohr in the world. We do not need another one. He all by himself is enough. And we have one Brian McLaren in this world. He's amazing and he's enough. We have one Paula Stone Williams in this world. We don't need another one because she is amazing all by herself. The world doesn't need any more of what we already have. What it needs is all of our unique selves and all of our unique voices. Copying one another is what got us into this mess in the first place. So let's try something different this time around. A few years ago, And this is kind of where this whole conversation comes from. A few years ago, I made this stark realization that my entire life, and I shared a little bit about it already, but my entire life had consisted of trying to be what other people hoped I would be. It's not that I wanted to please everyone. I've never really considered myself a people pleaser, but honestly, it was much more that I wanted to impress everyone. So when I had this realization, I started asking myself this question. After a couple of decades of that, who the hell am I? And that question has been quite the exciting adventure. Before I jump into kind of what I've been doing to find my authentic self, it's really important that you recognize that what I'm not doing is I'm not giving you Matt's four steps to finding purpose or any junk like this. I'm just sharing my story, and if any part of it is helpful for you, great, go ahead and use it, but this is not the way for everybody to find purpose in their life. Don't go emulating me just because it worked for me. At the end of the day, we all have to find our own path. But if anything helps, great. If not, I hope you enjoy the podcast anyway. So the first thing that I did was I thought back as far as I could in my life 
to when there were as few external circumstances clouding or influencing my judgment. So I let my brain go as far back as I could possibly remember. I'm talking like way back to when I was a little, little kid. And I can remember, and this would have been even pre-grade school days, I believe. But I remember that during those really early stages of my life, there's a few things that really stand out. Professionally speaking, because all adults want to know what their toddler is going to do for a living, right? That's just the question we ask. But professionally speaking, I was either going to be a Native American, which I had no clue that I couldn't actually choose that for a career. I wasn't aware that being Polish kind of excluded me from that option. Wasn't aware of that. So as a little kid, I thought career option, I'm going to take it. The other career option that I thought would have been awesome was being a priest, So to me, in my little kid mind, a Native American, because of just my experience in, quite honestly, in some theme parks and in some Western movies that my grandfather would watch with me, my idea of a Native American was like adventure. That's what it represented to me. Adventure and running through the woods. (laughs) That's what I wanted to do. And to me, a priest... It represented like this connection to the divine. I thought the priest at my Catholic church growing up, I thought that dude had a direct connect to God, and that seemed awesome. So professionally speaking, that was really my plan in the very early stages of my life. From like a heart standpoint, when I was young, I was really not a typical boy. Like where I grew up, typical boys loved to kill things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just that's just what they love to do. They love to find things, kill things. Eventually, when they're old enough, they got to shoot things legally. I was one of two kids in my entire class. Not that it was a big class, but I've one. I was one of two kids in my entire class who did not hunt. In Boscobel High School, you actually got the whole week off from school if you wanted it to go hunting. So it was like me and one other kid that were at school. Jason Zajek, he was the other one. Shout out to Jason. Stand strong, brother. And I can remember when I was, man, I couldn't have been more than two years old when this happened. I remember a time when there was two boys in my neighborhood and they picked up a turtle that they found in the road and they threw it and it haunted me for years. I can still picture to this day, I can picture the street it was on. I can picture what those boys looked like. I can picture the direction they threw the turtle. I can picture what the turtle looked like when he hit the ground. Because to me, as far back as I can remember and still to this day, like I hate... I hate when people cause someone or something harm or pain. Now, from a talent standpoint, we'll just kind of keep rolling through. From a talent standpoint, I remember, again, when I was super young, couldn't have been older than grade school, I grabbed a bunch of pots and pans from the kitchen. I set them up. I grabbed my tape recorder, and I acted as the DJ and the drummer for my very own radio show, and I've got a tape cassette to prove it. Now, fast forward to today, I still, I am still the native priest. I love adventure. I love being in the woods and I care deeply about spirituality. As far as a heart standpoint goes, I still hate, I mean, I hate when people cause other people or other things harm. I flinch and I wince when I'm driving in my car and I hit a beautiful butterfly And when it comes to the main talent pools that I've drawn from in life, they are my talent as a drummer and my talent as a public speaker or a host, which I'm using right now in this podcast. So why is this important? The reason is if I find myself, 
If I find myself outside of some of these things, I have to ask myself what I'm doing because these things have always been a part of me from as far back as I can remember and they're still a part of me today. So if I'm outside of those things, I have to ask myself what I'm doing there. It's also important because if I grab onto these things, I no longer have to ask myself that age old question of what do you love to do? I mean, sometimes I hate when people ask that question. People are trying to find their purpose in life and the first thing that they're asked is, well, what do you love to do? I don't know. I love doing a lot of things. I love riding my bicycle. I love kayaking. I love playing basketball, but none of those things have anything to do with me making an impact in this world. They're just things I enjoy. But instead, if I can trace back, like I'm talking about, trace back to my early years and follow that throughout my entire life, then instead of asking the question of what I love to do, I can simply ask the question of what have I always done and what have I always been? That's a much different question. And that actually can have a lot to do with how I move forward and influence and impact this world. All right, next thing. Remember a couple of weeks back when I was talking about heaven and I quoted the Lord's Prayer, what's known as the Lord's Prayer? In that conversation, I pointed out a part of that prayer where it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about that concept of what it could look like or how close heaven can be. We have so much access to it that we can bring it to earth. I also talked about some of the imagery that we attach to the concept of heaven. We are talking about something that we can't see. So let me just be upfront and say there's no right or wrong answer. So the second question I've had to ask myself in route to finding myself apart from others' expectations of me was simply the question to me, what does the kingdom of heaven on earth look like? And for me, it's all about equality. It's all about all voices having the opportunity to be heard. And when talking about faith, as one of my favorite Pentecostal preachers once said, or should I say shouted repeatedly, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So again, who am I and what do I do? Who have I always been and what have I always done? And then what does the kingdom of heaven on earth look like to me? And then finally, it's finalizing the equation. How do I use who I am and what I do to bring my vision of the kingdom of heaven to earth? How does the native priest with a hate for hurt and a gift of voice and rhythm make this world a more equitable place where everyone's voice matters? Well, professionally, I do it by producing this podcast and by co-hosting other podcasts with like-minded people. I do it by speaking, producing, and creating content for an anti-trafficking organization called Fierce Freedom. And I do it by speaking to teens all over the country about kindness and compassion with an organization called Rachel's Challenge. That's how I do it professionally. But the trickier part I'm finding is how to do it on a personal level. This is the more challenging part. It's challenging to speak up when someone talks about an angry, judgmental God. It's challenging to not attend church, which I've always loved because there are no affirming churches in my area. It's challenging not only to not laugh at jokes that put down other people, but to actually ruin the fun by pointing out how inappropriate the joke is. I really like when people like me, but sometimes being the best form of yourself actually makes people like you a bit less. And I'm finding, 
quite honestly, that that's okay because the feeling of being authentic is far better than the feeling of being liked. And the beautiful thing, as I'm sure you know, the beautiful thing is that a lot of people will actually love the authentic form of you. And when you're loved for truly who you are, which is so very rare in this world, when you're loved for truly who you are and not for what you're good at, not for what you believe, not for how much money or success you have, but you're simply loved for being the truest form of yourself, that's magic and that is worth it a million times over. So friends, honor those people who you look up to and support their work. I mean, buy their books, go to their concerts, share their social media posts, but do not try to be them. Allow their influence to affect you, but not to become you. The movement of faith and life that is bubbling up in our world that I'm so excited about, it needs us all individually to simply be the best forms of ourselves. And your piece of that puzzle will fit. It will absolutely fit because truly who you are is truly what we need. As always, if you want to support this podcast, please subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. Until next time.